Hello, what's going on? Welcome back to The Shortest Path. Today, we'll be joined by Sarah Ng, who's a truly inspiring guest. Not only has she started over in three different countries, but she has also made a complete 180 degree career change from an English degree to software engineering. Sarah's been in the tech industry for over a decade and has led several teams in startup environments. She's also a reinvention coach and focuses on helping women in tech level up their careers and confidence. She has a passion for connection and belonging and has been involved in various community building initiatives. In this conversation, find out what exactly a reinvention coach is, what it means to burn the boats and how you can apply that strategy when it comes to looking for a job, especially if it's a new career. The theory of liminal, the playbook of when you're moving abroad to another country and how to find connection. There's a lot of giggling in this podcast. So yeah, it was a lot of fun, but I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one. So yeah, I hope you enjoy the show and speak to you guys later. So then Sarah, like, I think for you and who you are today, like, how would you describe yourself? Mm. I would describe myself as multifaceted. So I'm always doing a couple things at a time. And the thing right now that resonates with me most and what I'm doing is I'm a reinvention coach. And so what that means is I help people who who want to change in some way and they don't know how to make that change by themselves, whether it's they've reached an obstacle, they don't know how to get started. And I'm like, I've changed a lot, so let me figure out, uh, let me guide you on how to do that. Like I've never heard of a reinvention coach before. Where did it come from? Yeah, so I was thinking about the word invention and I was just thinking about how whimsical it is and how you think about kids and their imagination and how we have this ability to play and like create stories about anything we want to be when we grow up. And I was thinking about the reintroduction of that for ourselves, like the ability to to get back in touch with not just like invention and imagination, but like getting back in touch with it, reinventing. And so that's where that came from. It just really resonates with me and my experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then so when you experienced, I imagine you reinvented yourself a few times, right? Yeah, yeah there's there's that <laughs> <laughs> leading question. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. So would you like me to tell you about that? Please do. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. So the biggest thing that I've done is I was an English major at uni. The professor told me, like, you're good at English. You're good at writing. I was like, great. I like compliments a lot. I'm going to do that. I wasn't really thinking about the future. And I did that for a while. I traveled the world and did some writing, interviewing people. And then I realized I wanted to have some, like, tangible skills, something hard. Uh, so I decided to pursue software engineering, and then I did like a complete 180, and I, I went to engineering for, I believe it's, it's been eight years now. When you were um, studying English in the first place, did you have an idea of what that career path was going to be, or was it a case of, I'm good at it, so let me just figure it out? Because I imagine the fact that you graduated and had a job where you'll be able to travel mm-hmm. across the world, like, that's pretty amazing. Was that something that you expected or was it just not, like how, how did you think about it in the first place? Yeah, I did not have any sort of foresight at 18, uh, in the US it's 18 to 20. I, I graduated a bit early, so 18 to 21, no foresight. So I knew I didn't wanna be a teacher, which is usually the path that you would take as, as pursuing literature. 
So I just knew <laughs> the natural path that you would take. That's not what I wanted to do. But what did I want to do? I had no idea. Um, I didn't even know that I wanted to travel. That came up probably when I was 20 in a conversation with a friend who had gone to, I was in the US, so she went to France. That was a really big deal to both of us, to everyone. And and from there, things things kind of happened. But for me, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. What was that first opportunity? What did it look like as a writer? In university, I was part of the, so there was um, a really nerdy department called the Open Source Education Lab. It's under the computer science umbrella. So that was like my first taste of technical things. And, and so I would write articles about what that department was doing, ways that they've contributed. Open source is like they build software for for free, or it's not for profit, it's for the community, really, for everyone to participate in and, and push the software further. Yeah, that was my first experience. I started writing there, and then I moved to Australia and started writing there as well. So, hold on, slow down, yeah, slow, okay. slow down. So, <laughs> you're writing for the computer, the open source department, mm. and then that opportunity to go to Australia, was that also whilst you were studying, or was that after uni? Mm, yes, I skipped many steps. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was actually years later. <laughs> So what happened after after the open source education lab? I worked as a virtual receptionist. I just did a lot of temp jobs. My mind was on like, how do I get abroad? Like, how do I use, how do I make money so that I can go abroad, spend it all, and then come back and start again? And it's like, in my early 20s, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. And... My parents didn't really have a say, even though they were very dismayed. But I I went and traveled to Europe alone, and that was a big deal for me because I was super shy. And it was a chance for me to like go in hostels, start meeting people, have conversations. Um, I met like a New York Times journalist. I still remember that instance. So like getting those exposures, that's kind of what what moved me from writing in like the small agricultural town in Oregon where I went to university to, okay, I can do this bigger, I can move somewhere else and pursue writing in another way. And how long were you in Australia for? Ooh, 10 months. Uh, I originally moved there. You're going to be like, this is another tangent. I was really into scuba diving. Uh, so at that point, I was advanced certified um, in Australia and Indonesia. And so I moved to Australia to work at a scuba dive resort and, and do some writing. Was it the writing for the scuba diver resort or was it more mm. like freelancing? Yeah, it was freelancing. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, um, I remember the first time I traveled to that side of the world, like I went to Indonesia. This was maybe, yeah, 10 years ago now. And um, amazing experience. Like, mm. I wish I'd done some scuba diving there. Um, I just didn't have the chance or the courage to do so. <laughs> but definitely when I'm on that side of the world, I definitely need to give it a go. Yeah, do you still do a lot of scuba diving? No. Um, I was really into it at one point. I was like, oh man, I'm going to like follow the seasons. I'm going to go this place, this place, and just follow. But those tanks are really heavy. I don't know if you ever felt them. It's like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's probably like 20-something, I don't know, kilograms, pounds. It's It was heavy for me at that time. And so I'm a bit lazy. So I was like, this is, I'll be a recreational diver. Okay, fair, fair. So then as you were writing, you're in Australia, and at this point, were you 100% happy with what you were doing? Because you tick the box in terms of traveling and also working while you're doing that. But where was the genesis of saying, I want something more? I was 
24, 25 at that time. So I was living with six other people. Okay. Sorry, 10 other people in a six-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it was illegal. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I guess it's a good amount of money. I was, like, getting by, and I wasn't thinking about, like, you know, fancier things in life. I was content in that way. So at that time, I was in a relationship, and it was, we were both, we're both American. He's, he still is, actually, <laughs> as am I. And, and he broke up with me because he said I didn't have enough passion in life. And... He said, like, you know, we've been together in Australia for the past 10 months and you've kind of just stayed like, um, what's that word? I'm stagnant. Stagnant. Yeah. And on his end, I was like, okay, you're, you're nannying and you're also, um, he's right, having a, he was um, a filmmaker, this documentary about megafauna, which are these like large animals, kind of like, kind of like dinosaurs, but they're mammals. Um, and so... In contrast to that, he felt like I wasn't doing enough. So that was kind of my first slap in the face that, oh, there are other people who want to do more and it's maybe not acceptable for me in the way I'm going, but I hadn't ever considered it before. It was like, I'm doing scuba diving and writing. I moved abroad. Like, <laughs> I'm doing a lot. I'm doing a lot. Mm. And so it came completely out of the blue. Like you just said, not mm. even a conversation to say, I think you're capable of doing more. It was like, nah, you're not cutting it anymore. It's time to go. Did it come out of left field? I remember when we first met, he said something like, I'm going to push you to do more. But then that was the second time that conversation was had <laughs> was, was the breakup. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then what did you think? What was going through your mind at that time? Then? Mm. I, I think he was right. Like at, at that time, I didn't have a side hustle or a thing that I was like driven by or interested in. And I think about, like, the contrast between now and then. And I, I think there's, he gave me a kick in the butt uh, for that. And I, I think there's some validity. There's also some points where I was like, uh, I'll leave those. Um, and then after that, I left and went scuba diving in Indonesia with some roommates and, and left. Oh, just like that? Yeah, a week later. Um. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's a good <laughs> thing. Like, tell the audience. But I, as in... Especially after 10 months, you've traveled, you've like ticked those boxes that you wanted to do. Mm. And then for someone to say, nah, you're still not doing enough. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot, you know. I can only imagine that type of feeling. Um, especially when you know you've already put yourself out there and you've mm. taken yourself out of your comfort zone like anything. Um, but in coming back home, what was that like? Was that a bit of a disappointment? Did you expect to stay in Australia for a much longer period of time? No, the visa was for 12 months, so okay, cool. at the most it would have been two more months. Mm -hmm. So I went home, regrouped. Uh, I was working in insurance, which between writing and insurance, those were like my two stable jobs and the things that I knew. Uh, I went back to Oregon, and then I was at a fork in the road. I was like, okay, I got into school to, to be a marriage and family therapist, or another route, which was to go to school for computer programming. How did we get to um, a therapist? How did that come into your... Uh, have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just say I have a, a real interest in getting to know people, asking questions, like a curiosity about them. And I feel like it's always been my like secret dream in the back of my head to be a therapist. But travel is also another thing. So ultimately, I decided computer programming to learn hard skills to prove that like anyone could do it. Because before, I used to think it was like, 
people who are strong in mathematics, super brainy, um, mainly men. And, and then I was like, well, let me try it and see if I can do it. So out of stubbornness, I decided to pursue that instead. Mm, so you're like, let me give myself another challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And was yeah. it was it easy? Was it as easy as you expected, or was it quite oh, challenging? Yeah. I <laughs> cried every single day. <laughs> oh, I have a joke about this, and I don't know if it's funny, <laughs> but I keep saying it anyway. Yeah. Is that you know like how Picasso had the blue period? No. Okay. Well, he had something called the blue period, but I don't think it has anything to do with being sad or anything. It's just like maybe he painted in blue. I should really look this up, but I call it my blue period, like crying and coding, as I cried every single day. Uh, okay, maybe like every other day. It was so hard, and I think the idea of, I went through this school with a bunch of other people, and being compared to them, or not a, not like outwardly, but like internally, I was like saying, do they, are they learning it quicker than I am? Do they have like this natural talent? And that was kind of scary. So, um, in that way, it was difficult. Did you have any regrets? No, it's the best thing I ever did with my life. During that period, though? Oh. During the blue period, were you thinking I should have went the, the therapist period. route? No. Uh, yeah, sometimes I think about how people are like, you ask them, like, how did, I, how did you do this? Like, how did you pursue acting and become successful or create a business? And they're like, I didn't think there was another option. I'm like, how can you even fathom that? Like, don't you think about the worst possible outcomes? But for me, it was like I moved myself from Oregon to Chicago. I quit my job it was like there were no other I didn't consider other alternatives at that time it was like I graduated from that program I bought a one-way ticket to Austin Texas spent two weeks just like emailing and begging people to meet up with me and then I got a job that way wow hmm. that's pretty that's pretty that's, I've never heard of that before yeah you buy a one-way ticket it, yeah. it's a lot of pressure on you I no sorry a two-week ticket mm -hmm. yeah and it's like, okay, I need to figure out within those first few weeks. Mm. Were you cold emailing mm -hmm. people, like LinkedIn messages? Um, you weren't trying to go like the traditional route, per se. What's the tra traditional route? Like just applying on the websites. Oh, no, that takes too long. And you'll never hear back. Yeah, this is actually something. So I do some career coaching as well for underrepresented groups looking to get into tech. And this is like one of the biggest things that I, I mention to people is like find the CTO, find the VP of engineering, find a software engineer on the team, get their email address, email them and ask them to coffee. How were you selling yourself? Were it just like a case of high VP of Airbnb? Mm -hmm. Love your work. We'd love to grab a coffee with you. Simple as that. Yeah, it's, um, I'm like, yummy, you know this. We've been through this startup incubator <laughs> together. Like we've crafted these just emails. Re refresh my memory, but yeah, please. Yeah, for your audience as well. <laughs> um, you keep it short and sweet. So yeah. you email them, say like one line about you why they should care about it and mm. then ask them a coffee and yeah. then in the coffee what do you how do you how do you sell yourself wow it's so long ago but but i still do this now so talking about what skills i have that would contribute to their team like for me it was i used the word gumption and that ultimately uh, the cto where of my first dev job said it was that word that <laughs> stood out to him um, and gumption to me is like you have the hustle, you take the initiative. That's really good for startups. Like you want someone to fill in a bunch of different roles. Proactive, like you don't have a ton of resources, you know how to utilize what you have. And so saying like, I have these things, I just need an environment where 
I can flourish. Uh, that's ultimately like how I convinced. I got three job offers in two weeks. Wow. How did you mm-hmm. compare and pick one? Which one would help me grow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I looked at what technical skills that they had. One was purely like back end and very like, uh, it's this skill for just building out like search engines. Mm-hmm. I wasn't so much interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one had bean bags and other perks, free yeah. lunch. And, and they had the environment, they had like a bigger engineering team and they were doing full stack, which means um, back end and front end, which also then I'll go another level. D- uh, it was building out like a, a customer facing platform, but also like the database and how we store the information. Okay. It's a lot to learn. Is that the one that you picked? Yes. Okay, nice. And then was it everything that you expected? Ooh, I don't know if I want to roast them on camera. <laughs> <laughs> They're in uh, <laughs> some trouble. <laughs> It was, oh, there's... An experience. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, maybe one day I will share those stories. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. it, it, uh, career-wise, yeah. it was, I stayed there a year and a half, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what working at a startup was like before that I worked for big corporations. And so in that way, mm-hmm. it was really useful. Mm-hmm. And I've worked at startups ever since. And so do you still think of yourself as a writer first or now you're like an engineer first, writer second? Mm, my business cards used to say writer of code and then s- one person was like, that's cheesy as hell. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I have an email address that's girlwritesWords at, g- at gmail.com. Um, it's been so long since since I've thought of myself as a writer. I think I truly like was... Oh, I, I'm visualizing this cocoon and then blossoming. But I think I've just been in engineering so long that I don't consider myself an engineer, but I consider myself not a writer. It's always interesting, like, that type of mind shift where your identity... Because sometimes when you're working in a lot of places, your identity can be tied up about the company that you work for. Yeah. Or mm. the type of job that you do. But then it's always interesting when you confound your identity as just you and yourself. So it doesn't matter whether you're a writer or an engineer, you're able to just maneuver or adapt to your environment and essentially just know who you are and what you're capable of doing. Because I think to be able to have that, say, year stint traveling the world, come back, say, okay, let's pull up mm. our shoe, let's pull up our pull up our socks and try something new as an engineer. Um, it takes a lot of guts, you know, and then to do the two weeks and then everything just playing out in the way that you want it to play out. Something that resonated with me that you said is like having the bravery to go after these things or mm. or like taking those two weeks. Like first, I don't think it's, well, I do think it's brave when I hear it from other people, but something that I experienced like growing up is the word liminal. Like I've always existed between two liminal. places. Yeah, okay, it's this yeah. idea of cu- like limbo. Okay, yeah. You're not exactly in one place you kind of have like two feet well you always have two feet but one foot in one place one foot in the other and as someone that um my dad's singaporean and my mom's from hawaii and then they met like in the u.s and then growing up in a place where there weren't there wasn't a lot of diversity specifically like with people who look like me and so and then going into engineering and i my first job, I was like the only woman of a team of 13 engineers. 
I've always existed in places where I was the only one or I was just different. And so I think that I have comfort with the discomfort. And so being able to go into more unknowns is almost like more familiar to me because I've always been doing it. So in that way, it, it doesn't feel brave. It just feels like that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. I mean, it's still quite brave because as humans, I think we always like to seek comfort mm. and we find comfort in things that we're familiar with. And like having to start again from scratch, go into a place where there's no one like you, no one speaks or understands like where you're coming from. It's always going to be quite challenging. Um, so there is still that bravery to keep on doing it like again mm. and again and again. And I think being able to leave the US, come to the UK, start mm. again. Like this is what your second, third time you came to the UK? Third After, time, I think. Third, third or fourth. Time. Yeah, so it's a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're back. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, it just speaks volumes of like that type of character where you're just willing to just mm. put yourself out there and just try new things. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nice to hear it back. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, more compliments. <laughs> so um, I noticed that when you were an engineer, you also started quite a few projects. Mm-hmm. Would you like me go to go yeah, into yeah. detail about each one or just like so, list them off? Yeah, list them off, list them off. Okay. Because I've got a list of them. Sure. One was called Not Another Sad Lamp, and that's mm-hmm. the one I'm proudest of. That was a an installation I did for the Manchester International Festival. It was an art tech installation, and that really, like, I think by default I'm a creative person more than uh, someone who's, our stere- what we stereotypically think of as an engineer, just like by the book. So this was an installation where I took tweets from the festival, did sentiment analysis on it, which is um, a way for the computer to analyze the motion of words, and then uh, using a, um, a smart lamp that would change colors. I would change the color of like this lamp, um, and it would, it would uh, basically when someone would tweet something, it would change the room. It would like fill the room with that, with what they're saying, the motion of what they're saying. And then other things, so when I, I also lived in New York for, God, five five or six years. And by the circumstance of this, and, and this happens in London as well, is that people can be very surface level when they have interactions, shallow interactions, especially when they're getting to know someone for the first time or they're just in a rush. And so there's this idea, there's a slow food movement, which is people sit down and really enjoy their food. And the idea is, it's called the Slow Friendship Project. And a friend and I started this. And the idea is you slow down, you have deeper conversations, you get to connect with people in ways you, it's intentional, in ways that you normally wouldn't get to. And so I did that in New York and uh, there was a mailing list. I pitched it a couple of times at events and there was about five or 600 people on the list. What was so appealing? to people to get to that number of people on your mailing list, do you think? Connection. That was what was lacking. The surprise element, the spontaneity of it. So what it was, was people would come, they wouldn't know who the participants were, and it was sharing a meal together, and then there'd be facilitated conversation that uh, that I would run, and it would be, there's a couple things like, that come with connection, which is having vulnerability in a conversation, being able, feeling safe enough to be able to express yourself and say something that you maybe wouldn't normally say, especially on the street, like seeing someone and saying hi and then talking about the weather. 
And then the other thing is people reciprocating that and saying not only like I hear you and like this experience that you went through was hard or like how wonderful was that, but also being like I've been through something, like let me share that with you. And that forms connection, like being able to to have both people want to open up. And through those like suppers, supper clubs, did you meet or come into contact with people that had a similar experience such as yourself where they wanted to have like a 180 degree change in what they were doing. Oh, that's interesting. There are people where I look back now and I'm like, oh, wow, they completely changed. There is someone who I remember she showed up and I believe she worked in insurance as well. And now she's she moved to Italy and she was pursuing like some cooking course. And now she specializes in. I think she specializes in wine and she teaches other people and, and she moved back to the States after that. But it wasn't something we initially talked about. And that project didn't center around reinvention so much as just like, here we are in the present, yeah, connecting. Maybe I'll combine the two. Yeah, who knows, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good def- idea. Because it definitely feels that um, there's an element of connection that's missing in today's society mm. where, especially because most people are now working from home, which isn't a necessarily a bad thing. Like, there's always tools to help you connect with other people, but you're no longer going into the office to have that connection with people, even um, with family. Like, mm. most of the time, people used to live very close to their yeah. parents, but now you live quite far from your parents. So doing something as simple as changing something on their phone, a setting on their phone, for example, mm-hmm. you can't do that as easily as you'd want to do. Um, knowing your neighbours, the name of your neighbours, like how many mm. people can say that they know the name of their neighbours. Yeah. Um, and like now with everything coming more digitised, easy, like it can feel like you have more connections than ever, but those mm. deep, meaningful connections, those meaningful conversations, those meaningful friendships, um, I feel now they're becoming maybe far and fewer in between. And it's no coincidence why there's a rise in things such as, say, depression. Mm-hmm. Loneliness. Loneliness, mm-hmm. substance abuse, things mm-hmm. where you can escape to an element, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I do wonder, like, what's, where, like, what's the future of community and what can be done to kind of help people connect more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to, to what you said, this, this aspect of numbing, like people are finding ways to not check in with themselves or there's a void, but they're not necessarily aware of like how to fill it i think com- the future of community is that what you're asking i mean you can keep Ooh, you can you ask that you, you want to you <laughs> said these were going to be easy questions <laughs> did just not prep for this flow, question <laughs> there's no prep no prep involved i'm trying to think about the ways for myself and how i seek out community and recently it's it's been more around ways I want to further myself and maybe it's around common interests but things it's not just like gathering for the sake of gathering or like having someone there it's like almost in a way that you elevate each other so for example uh, recently I met up with a group of friends and we talked about having an accountability group and uh it includes you. <laughs> I don't know if I should explain that part. It's fine. <laughs> and I found that really uplifting because it was a way of we're having conversations about things like our hopes and dreams, really, like the things that we want to achieve. Like even now it f- makes me feel excited. 
and like having something a commonality that we're like moving in the same direction towards and we can share things I find that to be more binding than just like hey we are going to meet for a meal and there's no real like common common thread there so it's like there has to be that kind of purpose element to towards purpose. it yeah I wonder because with the projects that you started like the side projects um, as I said I have a list mm-hmm. so um there's like the side project friendships mm-hmm. and so that's when people are coming together bring that's yourself right. potluck dish and your side project with the idea decision decisions helping people figure out what they want to do using javascript um breath of sound so that one is using code to create a musical performance from the audience artificial brain opera opera so again, using um, brain-computer interfaces and text analysis to expose our vulnerability and inner selves. And then not a sad light as well, which again is using that sentiment analysis to understand what the feelings between those tweets are and how mm-hmm. it experiences. I feel there's a common thread between all of those mm-hmm. projects. Mm-hmm. What would you say that common thread is? Yeah, it was helpful for you to, to read them back to me because I didn't realize it until now. And it's... It's kind of like this tension between tech and then in-person connection or just being vulnerable and figuring out how we can harmoniously have those two together or how we can, yeah, how we can use technology as an aid to build connection. Um, Yeah, that brain-computer interface one. So that one was measuring brain waves. This was part of, um, I worked with ThoughtWorks, which is a consultancy over the summer and it was measuring brain waves and there are two different types of brain waves that was like more active and then the other one was more passive and then comparing it to what people are actually saying and so the the premise there was like is which one is more authentic or like does it always align like what people say versus what they're thinking and asking people like emotionally evocative questions and, and seeing like their comfort level in doing that what was the answer that you found? Well, in in this case, it was an art performance, so it wasn't so much like testing it with people. Um, so I can only speculate. But the idea was that it wouldn't matter. People <laughs> 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 are always thinking different things in their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People have like, yeah. But they say intelligence is being able to have two opposing thoughts in, the, in your head at the same time. Really? Yeah. That's that intelligence? Apparently so. Huh. Like two opposing ideas. Yeah. Um, because I think, especially now, like the way the world has become so polarized, people believe that one mm. way is right and everything else is wrong. Sure. But in reality, the truth is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Not in all cases, but in most cases, yeah. like that's that's the situation it is. Um, but I definitely feel like that bridge between tech and people using tech for good, not mm. just for money or for harm, um, is quite key. And it's interesting how you've been able to weave that kind of feeling in between all of them. Do you know where that came from, like that desire? Is it something that you experienced as you became into tech? Or is it just like innate, would you say? I'm a really nosy person in that I'll meet someone and I just want to know everything about them. I want to know why they made the choices they made, what their family's like, what they're doing now, like what they cry about. I've asked that on first dates. Been like, <laughs> when's the last time you cried? And uh, it goes over well like 50% of the time. So... I think it's always been human first. I almost feel like I'm one conversation away from connecting with someone. 
and technology has just been the the opportunity that I've gotten to build things that that connect people or that somehow br- yeah that bring people together it's kind of the means to it. it it never has been technology for technology's sake like I can think of engineers that are super interested in like building the most efficient system I mean yeah like my closest friends and they think about programming languages and the architecture of it and that's never been me it's been like let's think about the product and and the means of like how it will be used mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then is that common theme with other engineers well other engineers or your family like has it always do you seem like you're the one only person that is that inclined in terms of wanting to know people on that deeper level hmm. definitely with my family i'm i'm the i stand out in that way mm-hmm. like i've asked my mom personal questions and she's been like mind your own business <laughs> i get the same thing do you okay <laughs> sometimes like um it's funny my mom's a, a closed book my daddy's crazy mm. open uh my mom is like to ask, ask, ask. Yeah, it's like yeah. you have to kind of pull she, it out. She's in a good mood. You might get like one more sentence. Literally, literally yeah. like that. I wonder where that comes from as well. I don't know. Your mom was like that. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. I think about it now. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I when I say it to other people, they're like, what? Yeah. How can your mom be like that? No, yeah, no. Yeah, it happens. It happens. So I've been pretty deliberate now in my career with engineering and in going to creative companies. So I worked at Skillshare, which was an education platform. But specifically, they taught creative classes like watercolor, illustration, or writing. Like they had Roxane Gay on there once uh, teaching classes. And so, and then now I work at a music production company called Splice. And so there are a lot of DJs. um, And so by that, like all of the engineers have their own creative projects. They're more like artistically minded, multifaceted. And so that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm with the people that are like me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that by design or was it just by yeah. chance you ended up falling into it? Yeah, yeah I couldn't work somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you made the best decision, like going into engineering that time. Yeah, I think I've. it's the best decision I've made in my life. Like, I think it's caught me confidence in doing something. Like, right after I went to that uh, coding school, I bought a car. And in the U.S., it's really, it's abnormal to drive manual. Uh, but I bought a car that was manual, and I was like, well, I don't know how to drive manual, but uh, I'll learn. <laughs> and so, yeah, after stalling out, like, a couple of times, like, I figured it out. And that was the, that really taught me, like, you can learn anything. It's just a matter of doing it. What's the best investment that you've made as part of your learning? Other than the coding that. school. <laughs> Other than the coding school. Other than the coding school. Yeah. I'd say learning to scuba dive. That was something... Or, or, I mean, I do hip-hop dance classes now, but I don't know if I've acquired those skills yet. That's just, like, <laughs> it brings me joy because I'm so bad. We need to add some videos, clips to this. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, what is that? Not om- The, like, where you show, in a movie, where you show, like, all the clips. Um, highlight reel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, not the highlights, but the bloopers. They'll be bloopers. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah. Enough. Um, I would say scuba diving. Because that was a physical aspect that's very different from software engineering. And that was something I did on my own and was just like, okay, I'm in Thailand uh, with this one instructor and I'm going to learn how to do night diving and dive when it's like pitch black. And it was scary, but it was really fun. As now you call yourself the reinvention coach, is it because of how you are able to change your life? You feel like people might be missing out on something. 
And that's why you now mm. become the reinvention coach. Or am I putting words in your mouth? You are, you are putting words in my mouth. I think people are only missing out if they want something and they're not, for whatever reason, able to get it. Like something gets in their way, um, specifically themselves, then they're missing out. But some people are fine with where they are and like I don't knock that and I think that's fine too. Good, good. Um, but for me it was what is my experience that's valuable to share with other people? What do other people come to me and ask about? A lot of the times it's helping people get into tech or they're early in, te- in their careers in technology and they want to know how to, to move up and to get into more of a leadership level. Or um, I've gotten requests for people who just want to know how to move across the country. Sorry, uh, move to another country. And I, I just think about the different ways I've reinvented myself. Like I figured out ways to just rebuild time and time again like make friends build a community figure out what hobbies I want to do get a new house like re- kind of reconstruct everything from something not as negative as the ashes but like to start again and so that comes naturally to me and I want to help people who want to do that mm-hmm. so let's 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 run a scenario yeah mm-hmm. so I'm going to transplant you to Geneva Switzerland you've got a new role there What's the first thing you're doing? I have a job already? Yeah. No, um, oh, too easy. Okay, no job, no job, no job. <laughs> no job. Yeah. What's the first thing that I'll do? Yeah. I think it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need your house, you need food. Um, later on, it's belonging. So the first thing that I would do is find housing because when you get that out of the way, you don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Are there specific hopefully parameters? Hopefully I would have some savings. So like living by yourself or living with people? Hmm. If I didn't have a job and I didn't have savings, it, it'd have to be as frugal as possible. Maybe it'd be a hostel. Actually, it'd probably be a shared hostel. Yeah. And then I would look at companies in what skill sets I have, email the heck out of them. Maybe I would show up at a couple of doors, offer to, to um, meet them for coffee. Once that's out of the way, I would get on probably like all of the apps where you can meet people like Meetup and Bumble and everything. And Are those your two favorite apps for that? Ooh. Right now it's Bumble BFF, uh, which is Bumble. And then um, there's been different Slack groups. Like I've been actually looking at like London communities on Slack. And there's a couple. There's London and Tech. There's um, Are they useful? I feel like those Slacks just have loads of people just mm. selling stuff. But are they actually useful to meet people? Yeah, I found Facebook groups. They're yeah. selling a lot of stuff. Mm. <laughs> and maybe it depends on the interest. But on Slack, yeah, I found it helpful. Like, um, there's one, I'm uh, I'm part of this startup incubator called Entrepreneur First, and they have an alumni group here in London. And so they just created a WhatsApp group for uh, for people in London. Do you know about that? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was created today. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I haven't I, logged into the Slack for I a realized, long time. Like, as I was saying, I was like, Yemi has no idea. I'll, I'll invite you to it later. <laughs> Yeah, but I I found those to be helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you joined those, and then you just look for anyone, any common interest. Go mm-hmm. for dinner, go for lunch, go for coffee. Yeah, yeah. And I found that you can have conversations with people, and as long as you like bring it to more than just I don't know why I'm harping on the weather so much, but more than like just the mundane things, mm. you can find something that 
like, wow, I never thought about that before. I'd never considered talking to this sort of company or considering this aspect of my business and mm -hmm. having like serendipitous conversations that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess after doing it so many times, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from reinventing yourself? It's possible. You can do it an infinite, infinite amount of times. Yeah. Do you ever think of like the end goal? Or is it a case of just mm. always being in the present? As in, do you see yourself, now you're in London, mm -hmm. is it London for good? Or are we going to Brazil to restart? And then Brazil, then to Cuba, maybe, and then like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a plan? It's topical because I'm here on a, and it's called the Global Talent Visa. Mm -hmm. uh, the endorsement body just closed down yesterday. What a name, yesterday. Global Talent Visa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's actually quite embarrassing <laughs> tier one tier yeah. one visa but the endorsing body was just closed down and they gave the grant money to barclays okay barclays mm -hmm. barclays yeah um so i was like uh, okay what is my plan then uh, long term but i think it won't affect my time here mm -hmm. for me it's so the last year i i spent it constantly rebuilding i was traveling the world for a year i was living a month at a time in a in each location and I found that to be exhausting because it was so much effort and time spent in, in figuring out, okay, here's the grocery store. Here's the time I wake up building a routine that I was like, let me come back to London. This is a place that feels very familiar to me. And let me focus on like my own projects and building those. So it was actually, okay, it, to be poetic, it's kind of like instead of rebuilding myself and my circumstances, it was let me re rebuild like my businesses. So London's the place for now. Mm. You say so. No Brazil on the horizon. No, I, I mean, February's a bit cold. <laughs> I was looking at flights right before this. It's but, so cold. But right home now. base, home base is here. Home yeah. base. When you said home base, I automatically think of the store. I mean, like... What store? Home base. Well, it's I a guess DIY store. <laughs> <laughs> like I said. <laughs> I it's a DIY store. store. I'm in DIY mode. So, like, it triggers yeah. me when I hear, like, home base or B&Q. What or, like, kind of painting. DIY? Um, it's like, like rebuilding. Huh? Like you build your house? No, no, no. Like stairs, um, renovation stuff. Like yeah. I hate, I'm in the middle of a renovation and I hate it. Like my mm. painter and decorator, he's just gone AWOL. <laughs> so it's going to be me doing the plastering probably mm. this weekend. Um, not to say that I'm any great, but that's a story for another day. Like I remember <laughs> the first time I done DIY, it was trying to install an invisible shelf. Mm. I yeah. done a terrible job. Oh, is that difficult? It's not difficult, but I just drilled the hole too big. <laughs> but then um, I drilled the hole too big. I was like maybe 15 or so at the time. Oh. And I didn't know there was such thing as like polyfiller where you can, oh, polyfiller, nope. basically you filled the hole back in mm. and you can do it from scratch. Mm. And so instead of the shelf being like this, it was just like this monkey all the time. <laughs> so then I was just traumatized from using the drill. Yeah. But um, now I'm back in on it. Like I can do whatever I need to. As yeah, long as I put 15 my mind years it. later. 15 years later, a bit longer than that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's 30. <laughs> and change. And change, and change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's brilliant. I think um, I love the idea of being able to just say whatever and just go for it. Um, sometimes when we think of going to different countries, it feels like a hassle, setting up mm -hmm. new things, meeting new friends. But I feel like technology is there, the benefit of finding that connection to people back home. And if you have an employer who is open to you working abroad, like living that nomad, living that nomad life. Mm -hmm. I remember I was in Montenegro, me and my wife, and 
literally we came across this group of six people where they were just on a wine tasting tour. And it's like, what do you do? I said, yeah, we work. <laughs> do you? Like, we got, we got a van and they're just traveling across Europe, like mm. working from different places. And mm. none of them knew each other from the beginning of the trip, like say six, wow. seven months before that. But they just met each other on the yeah. journey and just bring more people on the ride each and each time. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, I know like places like Thailand, Vietnam, they have massive nomad communities there as well. Yeah. Um, it's always one thing that I want to do. Like I want to live abroad for a few years and just mm. have that experience and just see how it goes, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So rebuilding your house or, I mean, you can do both. I can do both. I can do both. When you have the book and no steps, then mm. I'll be ready to do my checklist, checklist, checklist. Yeah, I'll have a checklist. <laughs> All right, awesome. Last question. If there was one book that changed your perspective on anything, what would it be? One book that changed my perspective. One book or one article or one talk or even one podcast. Or it could be a song. Or a song, yeah. I've given you loads of options now. I know, you're like, (laughs) choose one. I think it's, I'm going to go back in time to Roald Dahl. He's my favorite author. I I know a bit controversial as well. Uh, I think he just wasn't, anyway. uh, (laughs) Didn't make great comments. But uh, his ability to imagine things that weren't just like our everyday real life. He, he was just so imaginative in his books like the BFG and the witches. Um, yeah, his ability to like really get you engrossed in the world, in that environment, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and build those characters um, was eye-opening to me. And, and I aspire to that to like create that kind of environment where people can feel like wow this imagination is real it's tangible yeah yeah it's like the think the fact that every product everything we see started off in someone's brain as a thought or an idea that blows me away as well because the amount of work hustle determination that's needed just to start a company but even when we're driving the clothes that we wear it all started off in someone's mind um and that's why that I totally agree with you with the whole imagination thing. Um, coming from a finance background, I felt that my imagination, I don't want to say robbed, but it just wasn't there anymore until I started the EF process. And you come into contact with so many different people who have like, like a no fucks given attitude, especially when it comes to imagination. And I think being able to dream big, being able to exercise that creativity, because I think it's a muscle. I think everyone has it but it's just up to you how you want to use it. Even reading books. Reading books helped me like to start being more creative, as it were. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely, I hear that one as well. Yeah, I think you mentioned, you know, the word purpose mm-hmm. and how that's a, a big theme. I think it's also when you're talking about that possibility, like the being willing to believe that it's possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's part of entrepreneurship. For and, sure, for sure. Any idea you want to pursue. Yeah, and I think that's what you're living every day. Thank living you. your purpose. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Yemi. All right, cool. Sarah, thank you so much. It's thank a pleasure. You.